Well, good morning and welcome to Foundation Community Church. Pastor Scott, so thankful that you decided to be with us today and worship here at Foundation. Um, excited about what's happening at the church. I'm excited what's going on for the church. But more importantly, I'm excited about what that actually represents. You can turn this hot down on the monitor, by the way. What it actually represents, all of these things going on in the church, is that people are growing closer to God. They're becoming more dedicated to the things of God. They're trying to live out the principles and precepts of God that He preaches and talks about in the Bible. And it's reflected in your walk. It's reflected and manifested in ministry here at Foundation. And there's a lot of ministry that's taking place at Foundation. And for the sake of just doing things, none of it really matters. But when it reflects what's happening on the inside so much that it motivates you to have an outward approach to showing God's love in a practical way, that gets me excited. I've known many of you now for a lot of years as the pastor of this church, which most of you don't know, except for maybe me and my wife, that when we are supposed to move into the Skateway will be the October of this year, will be the eight-year anniversary of hosting weekly services at Foundation. We started a little bit prior to that doing some other things with small groups and gatherings and free services and things like that. But in eight short years, God has uh, created a flock of people and parishioners that are trying to live out the plan and purpose that God has for your life. And as a shepherd, that's the most rewarding part of it all. If I had to go back to the living room to see people grow, let's just go on back to the house then. It's not about the lights, and it's not about any of those things, but it's about the fact that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die and pay a debt you couldn't pay, to do a job you couldn't do, and He died on the cross and conquered death and sin and resurrected once and for all so that you can have a chance at living out what you were made for. And that's what this ministry is all about. Amen. So as I see the flock, sometimes I get revelation from God about the condition of uh, uh, um, maybe the world we live in, the, the community and things that we live in. But a lot of times as pastor, I get revelation from God about the flock, sometimes specifically and sometimes um, um, just as a, a church group, as a family of God. And it leads me to study. It leads me to pray. It leads me to meditate, specifically sometimes with you on my mind. Um, and then sometimes in general with the church on my mind. But as a pastor, and I think, you know, dad might be the only former uh, 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 lead pastor or whatever, not that titles are important, but as a pastor, when you are um, over a flock of church folks that are depending on you and leading, uh, uh, leaning on you for some guidance and, and some things like that, 
You think about the church every day, multiple times a day, all day long. And when you got ADD like I got, it's undiagnosed. But I promise, man, sometimes if, if you think I'm ignoring you, I ain't, man. I was listening and just something veered off to left field. And I got to come back and be like, now, I'm sorry. What was you saying again? And if you work closely with me, you know I got that stuff. I just haven't had nobody tell me about it. When I was little, they didn't have it figured out yet. Wasn't no ADD. It was just put your nose in the corner. Don't let that quarter fall off that wall. We got these wooden paddles here. Get on that behind. So that's how you cured the ADD back in the day. Now they probably give you something, I guess, or whatever. So anyway, I said all that to say there are multiple times I think about you. I pray for you. Sometimes I message you. Sometimes I text you. Sometimes it could be a number of different things. But just know that to my wife and I, you guys mean the world to us. Not what we do here, but you and your eternity, your future, your purpose. That's why we do what we do. I didn't beg for another set of bills. <laughs> I didn't beg for more responsibility. I'm not begging for, but what I am pleading God with God about is that He sends us more people that we might be able to minister to you that you would grow up and grow in grace and grow in strength in order to live out what it is that you're made for. That's why we do what we do. So God, as He always does, most of the time, kind of while I'm preaching a series, He lays more series on my heart. So next week, the series you'll be getting will be one that's called Positioned. Talking about things that you grow into and grow uh, in your life to put you in a position to even be able to handle all that it is that God has for you in the first place. That's for next week. So get your friends here. He's positioning you right now. I could preach about it, but I've got good at, I've gotten better at staying on my notes. So he gave me this rooted series. And as we talked about rooted, Donnie, I'll rely on you to just kind of fly through some of those slides for me because I didn't put the first couple of weeks in my notes. We talked about where you plant your roots and how that matters, making sure that you're listening to God and putting your roots on the right things uh, in your life. And we continue to talk that week. We talked about being a tree that's planted by a water. In the next slide, Donnie, you can fly on through the first three or four. Um, if the computer don't work, just kick it and punch it. You know, good intentions, they don't grow your roots. And then last week, you can pause there for a second. We talked about the root of bitterness. And um, it's amazing when you are preparing sermons and how to deliver them the testing that the enemy puts you through if you're a preacher or a minister of any kind and you've ever done anything for god it doesn't have to just be preaching you know when you're called to do something the enemy will try to some way shape or form uh, um um get you to not do that, to kind of intimidate you, to deceive you, to make you think some things about what you should do and how you should do it and what's appropriate and not inappropriate. And it veers your eyes off of God just a little bit because how many of you know it takes courage to follow God and live out the precepts of God in your life? If my dad were preaching today, he would, take, he would say it takes a man or a woman 
to serve God, that anyone can just go do what they want to do. But to follow God takes courage. And I was challenged greatly about the sermon that I preached last week because when you're preaching about bitterness, you're striking the core of a lot of people. And I prayed diligently that it would be delivered appropriately with love, but in all truth. And there's a balance there. God is about love. And what I learned last week is that it resonated with a lot of people. And then as I was praying, this week's sermon I would call hot off the press. It's not a note that's been sitting in my phone for six months or two years or some even for five years that are waiting to be preached. But this is one that didn't have to get typed in there for memorization. God told me probably as I was, I listened to my sermons every week, probably as I was listening to it sometime Sunday, He told me, well now you made it through the root of bitterness you're going to have to preach about regret too then. Because you know, bitterness and regret, they're like some of the people I grew up with. You know, they're cousins. Yeah. Boy, that ain't your cousin at all. Your mama's hung out and you hung with each other so much, you called him your cousin. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah, I know him. That's my cousin. Boy, he ain't nowhere in your family tree. <laughs> but bitterness and regret, they live together. They're always flocking around one another. They're not directly correlated, but they're indirectly always flocking around one another. Regret sometimes leads to bitterness, and bitterness sometimes leads to regret. And then all of a sudden, time of life gets away. Now the enemy's voice that caused the root of regret and bitterness, it gets louder. It gets bigger. You believe that some things are being confirmed because the voice of the enemy can be loud and it can be deceptive. Now all of a sudden you think time has gotten away. I've disobeyed so long and I've ran so long that it's too late. I can't overcome what's been done. That is deception of the enemy that will cause a root of regret to grow in your life until it overcomes everything else that you were called to do. Amen. Anybody ever did anything you regret? We're going to talk about it today. <laughs> Come on now. I'm going to preach it to you because I love you. This not an easy one. That old bitter root, that old root of regret, we got to eradicate it. If you want to live out your purpose in life, you can't live with regret. You've got to march on in Jesus' name. Regardless of what the enemy wants to tell you and get you to believe, God is greater. Somebody say, God is greater. Hallelujah. The enemy somehow, he's been able to intertwine these roots into our lives so deeply that it completely snuffs out what God wants to do in your life. Regret and bitterness have to be dealt with. They can't be left to themselves. If I want my grass to be green with no weeds, I've got to do some stuff to it. There's drought and dry season. 
hard soil. There's things I need to do to it and tend to, like we talked last week, in order to make it be what I want it to be. You can't leave it undone. Regret is a deep root. Sometimes you just can't pick it with, a, with, with your fingers, with your hands, right? Because you leave the root in the ground. Like that crabgrass. You got to go inside on the crabgrass and get the little hand shovel so you can dig it out. It's not like that little four-leaf clover. You can just, you know, pop some weed and go on, on it. Regret is a deep root. If I were to describe regret to you today, if you say, Pastor, what is regret? Regret would be a feeling of sadness, repentance, now remember that word, we're going to come back to it. Disappointment, sorrow, remember that one, we're going to come back to that one too. Or remorse over something that has happened. You see how bitterness and regret, you see, they, they live together. They just down the hall from one another. When you allow the root of regret to grow, it becomes a feeling of self-condemnation and disappointment that begins to grow in your life. You regret so much that you begin to think less of yourself for not accomplishing what it is that God has for you that you begin to condemn your own self as if you ought to be more. As if you weren't already made with a purpose. The enemy wants you to believe you're less than what you should be. But as I read about condemnation, I began to shout a little bit in my office as I reflected on Romans 8, 1. And a little bit of verse 2. The Bible tells me that in spite of the enemy that wants me to believe I'm less than, that therefore there is now no condemnation. Hallelujah. For those who are in Christ Jesus... Now, we've heard that verse a lot of time if you've grown up in the church environment at all. We like to stop there and get our shout on. We like to leave verses left undone. Like, He'll work out all things together for good. Yes, He will. For those that are called according to His purpose. Don't forget the rest of the verse. There's more to the story. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. From the law of sin and death. So there's two contradicting laws that Paul is speaking about in the book of Romans here that I want to take a little bit deeper look at. The first one he references is the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit is manifested in your life when you obey the law of the Spirit and then therefore can live without condemnation. Because you see, the other law is sin and death. The condemning law. The law of the Spirit this is the law that should be dictating your decisions. 
It is established, started, commenced, begins with, couldn't think of enough words, begins in your own life when you establish a covenant with God. When you become regenerated. I'm trying to teach you today something now. It's going to set you free. It's going to eradicate this root of regret. The law of the Spirit starts when you can obey the law of the Spirit when you become regenerated. When I haven't been born again, regenerated, saved, some of y'all uh, uh, might know a little bit better terminology from wherever background you're from in church, but until I start that covenant, when I get regenerated, see, now i got a covenant with the one who died for me. And now the law of the Spirit, that Spirit that lives inside of me, that covenant has some things that you ought to live by. It's like with my wife. I, when I got married, I decided that I'm going to turn away from some of the stuff I used to do. I can't do what I want to anymore because I have to answer to her because that's my wife. I have a covenant with her. And I value the covenant. So therefore, some things got to change. Now, fortunately, God had dealt with me before we hooked up. God's still working on me, but I was a little bit cleaned up when she got a hold of me. I was looking for a wife. I didn't have time for no other relationship except for Jesus unless you wanted to be my wife. And I told her that. I'm looking for a wife, not interested in no dating and all that stuff. Starbucks costs too much. I ain't trying to spend no $8.50. I'm working a part-time. They didn't even have plenty of fish or what's the other dating sites. None of that stuff. I'm down at the church camp meeting. I'm hunting for a wife. I want one that's got values that I I don't have to teach about the precepts of God that can keep me in line, that got the same faith I got. It's, it's what I've been praying for. A covenant that I made. So now, I got a covenant. Now imagine this. Even greater than the one I got with her, I've got with God. How can it be greater? It's greater because she can't die for my sins. She didn't resurrect from the grave. She needs the same thing I need. She needs to live by the law of the Spirit because Jesus gave His life that we might have everlasting life. So there's a greater covenant. This is not in my notes. Y'all getting this free marital counseling for free. Right. Hallelujah. You're getting this for free. Come on with it. Living by the law of the Spirit allows you to experience, listen to this, true freedom. I'm talking about freedom before the good old U.S. of A. was ever landed on. I'm going to get deep here today. I'm talking about freedom before anybody ever sailed the ocean blue. Not talking about all of that. I'm talking about before the Constitution. I'm talking about the law of God. Hallelujah. I've got to abide by that law. Don't matter what you say. If Jesus tells me, I've got to live by it. Why? Because I'm in search of freedom. When I live outside of it, I begin to do stuff that doesn't make sense, you see. And that's where that root of bitterness begins to take hold and take root. True freedom is not established by the law of the land. Somebody say amen. amen. 
Don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. Somebody sing it. <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. I don't even know who sings it. I still get to go to heaven, y'all, even though I know that song. <laughs> True freedom is established through the law of the Spirit. Stick with me. I can't always live my life as a Christian based upon what the world says freedom is. The world's already failed me, let me down. Because the world does not always base their decisions on the law of the Spirit. It's preaching truth to you today. I live in the world, but I'm not of the world. I am of the Spirit. I am a spirit being, so therefore, I have to make decisions based upon the law of that Spirit that lives within me and honor that covenant I made with God. But they voted this and they voted that. No, but the Word says. That's my guy. That's my constitution. I love America and I love freedom and I love my right to vote and I love democracy and I love it all. I love it, I love it, I love it and I never pick another country to live in. But it does not rule my life and give me true, born again, blood-bought, sanctified, resurrected freedom in the name of Jesus. I've been bought with a price. Yes, Lord. Can't take it from me. You didn't give it to me. Just because the world says it's okay doesn't mean it's also okay then by the law of the Spirit. You can't change God. It's one word. One God. The law of the Spirit uses the Word of God as its guide. Do not let the enemy deceive you on this matter. By all means, in this verse, Paul is talking about the law of the Spirit. So then we have the other half. Go back to the verse, Donnie, if you would please. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gave you life has set you free. I thought we voted for freedom. That's the worldly definition. The Spirit made you free. It made you free from the law of sin and death. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's pick up in Romans chapter 8, verse number 3. Going to continue on. Paul continues. I love the Bible. Deep, profound, dynamic, relevant. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh. Oh, here we go, them regretful decisions. He's getting into it now. The law was powerless to do. What the law was powerless to do was weakened by the flesh. That's me without God, the things I desire. And what do you know about our, our flesh? It is a sinful nature. It has a tendency to gravitate towards sin and make decisions that crave and satisfy the flesh. That's why the law of the Spirit must be greater that I can listen to that law and not what the desires of the flesh are because it's weakened by the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Mm, thank you, Lord. You sent Him to take my place. He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be my sin offering. And so, He condemned sin in the flesh. 
Let's keep moving. It's a deep verse. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met. Righteousness, right? Because without God, without the law of the Spirit, without God, our righteousness is what? It's as filthy rags. That means you ain't righteous without Jesus. The law might be fully met because of Him. My righteousness just wouldn't do. So he gave me a breastplate and said, get that old filthy stuff on here. Fit your breastplate with this. How about this righteousness that you can walk in? Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So now, that law of sin and death, I can overcome and live according to the Spirit. Next verse. Those who live... Before we continue... Take your eyes off that. Listen to the first verse. I'm going to go back. This is all referencing this. The first verse I read today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Those who live according to the flesh... The law of sin and death, according to the flesh, not according to the law of the Spirit, according, how do I know? Because he's referring back to this verse, y'all. He's following up with 8, 1, and 2. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Sound like if I obey that one, I'll have less regret in life than if I do the first one. Weed in the flower bed. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. What is the law? The law of the Spirit that is referred to back in verse 1. You can't live right. You can't make decisions that are right according to the precepts of the Bible, the principles of God, unless you obey the Spirit of God. And we are spirit beings. The Spirit lives inside of me. I must obey that Spirit. How do these laws relate to regret? I'll put it plain and simple to you. Decisions based upon the law of the Spirit lead to true freedom. Decisions based upon the law of sin and death, or the flesh, that Paul refers to, lead to regret. It's a dead-end road. Without Jesus, you're lost. You're undone. Everything must be uh, brought through that spiritual blender, consulted with God, pray without ceasing, bring all of your needs to God, that whatever you do, big or small, God is consulted and I obey the law of the Spirit. God's even in the little things. Scotty almost locked his keys in the car the other day, right? He couldn't find them. He's just like me when I was a kid. I lose my keys every other day. I need 15 sets, right? Because I lost my stuff all the time. So he takes after me. And he had one key or whatever. I can't remember the whole situation. He said, my God must have been looking out for me. And I said, oh yeah, good. He's even in the little things. He's figuring it out. God's in the little things. He's not just in the big thing. God's in everything. Pray without ceasing. So let's talk about deeper regret here. Because now you know the law of sin and death will lead you down a path to cause you to act out in the flesh because you desire things, because your nature has a tendency to sin and gravitate towards sin and things you like, because that's why we need Jesus, right? 
You, can't, you just can't help it. See, Adam, you think Adam and Eve didn't live with regret? They were told to do something, and they disobeyed. Boy, there was some fallout from that decision, wasn't there? There's some ramifications from that one. The Bible, I don't have time to preach about this, even says that God regretted. He was remorseful. He was sorrowful. Remember the definition about making man? Go back and read it for yourself. He didn't say that he wished he wouldn't have. Remember the definition of regret. It can be sorrow. Got to move on from that. Give you some study material for later. There's two types of regret. One type of regret is regrets because you make foolish choices. Doesn't always have to be sin. I can make decisions in life that I don't consider God in, and it calls me to make some decisions that are not good for me, not sinful decisions, and then later in life, I regret some decisions that I make because I didn't abide by the law of the Spirit that dwells within me, the covenant. For example, foolish decisions can be made in a lot of different realms that aren't necessarily sinful. I've made bad decisions about vehicles. You guys know my story. I love cars. I'm on a roll. I haven't bought one for like five years. I'm doing good. I'm trying to run this boy till the wheels come off. I got 140000 on a Toyota. I'm trying to run it out. If y'all want to buy me a back right shock, let me know. He told me they got to be sold in pairs. I got a back right shock out on it. I just wanted one because I'm old school. I'm about to crank it up myself and get me a shock. I don't need to. Make bad decisions about so many things. Professional choices, occupational choices, educational choices. Well, how did we get in this condition? I was just doing what I want to do. I was on my way to heaven. These weren't sinful things. I'm just out there doing what I want to do. So now all of a sudden I look back and I say, well, how did I get here? Well, retrace your steps. And you can figure out that you were not fully abiding by the law of the Spirit that you say lives inside of you. Leading to regret. You spend so much time considering these matters that they leave no more room for investing your time, talent, and treasure back into the kingdom because you don't put yourself in a spot that you can't hardly do it. One could be financial. Well, I just can't give this or that, or I can't. I couldn't give either if I owed 15,476 creditors that come into my mailbox every day because I was living by the flesh and couldn't control myself. I've been there before. Slave to the lender. I've been condemned over it before. The Spirit has dealt with me. The Spirit has told me you ought to be ashamed of yourself in the way that you've misused some of the gifts and blessings that God's put in your life. And one of my goals in life is to eradicate that and put it under my feet. I've had roots of regret that have crept their head up and made me think that I'm less than because of these things. I'm just honest enough to tell y'all, right? Most preachers won't do it. They're preaching all about, you know, the prosperity thing. And God wants you to prosper. But I'm just being for real. Because that's what I am. Not sin, but regret. Get in the way of what I want to do for God. Romans 8, 
8.28 says, we know that all things work together for good. So if you're in that case, and you're a believer, and you're called, remember this verse. All things work together for good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Listen to this. I love this. For God, for those God foreknew, that's you, say that's me, He also predestined. Hallelujah. He already has a plan for me. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that one that died on the cross and became sin for me. The image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here we go. And those He predestined. Somebody say, that's me. He also called. And those He called, say, that's me. He also justified. Can't get into justification. That just simply means that Christ goes to the Father. When I mess up, He goes to God the Father and say, Hey, I already got it taken care of. It's justified. I got this one. Let Him off the hook. Forgive Him, God. Let Him off the hook. For those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. That's me. I don't have to live with regret. I don't have to live with those decisions. I can bring them to, to Jesus. And Jesus, as the advocate, brings them to the Father. And I've been set free. And I've been justified so now what do I got to do I'm back to the law of the spirit don't mess up again boy I done told you once you better start living right see that's how sometimes I feel like God wants to talk to me because right. I'm a hard head I'm like the rest of you dudes in there act like your wife ain't making no sense and then you go to bed later like you know she did make a little sense <laughs> That's the same way we kind of deal with God, you know. Once we get it all figured out, be like, boy, God was trying to tell me. He was trying to tell me to stay off that lot. But about 72 months for zero was just too good. Always wanted that truck. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's the rest of the verse. Now we have other types of regret, and they're called sin choices that we make. We have choices we make that aren't necessarily sinful that we regret, and we can make our way out of. And then we have choices we make that we regret where it was direct disobedience and sinful unto the precepts and covenant that you have with God. These are the ones that stick with you, deep-rooted. you got to live by the Word. Well, give me some examples of some of those. I'm going to give them to you. Be with me, God. Here we go. Let's let them loose. We're talking about them sexual choices you made. We're talking about them drunkenness choices you made. I didn't say drinking. I said drunkenness. Just go, just, just let the Word preach to you. Treatment of other people. God says you ought to love your neighbor like yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your mind, all your soul. First and greatest commandment. Second one, love your neighbor like yourself. When you don't, that's disobedience unto God. you got to pray about that. Ask for forgiveness. Get that under your feet. You keep treating people like garbage, you ain't going to feel good about yourself. You won't see no manifestations of glory, purpose, destiny in your life until the enemy begins to talk to you about all this regret and then you think you're less than. Because you couldn't obey. Just trying to preach to you. Judgment of others. Envy of others. It is God's desire that you regret because of sin. Listen closely to this. We've all done it before. If you've been there, say, mm-hmm, that's me. I've been there before. 
Here's God's desire when you're in that position. It's God's desire that your regret leads you to repentance. Hmm, that sounds like the definition, Pastor Scott, that you gave. Regret is filling of sadness and repentance. It's his desire that sin leads you to repent because when it leads you to repent, you've obeyed the law of the Spirit that you can be set free by, right? That there's no condemnation. So you regret so much that it leads you to repent. Now you're free and you're capable of walking in true freedom in order to live out your purpose and destiny for life. Sounds easy, but the enemy's real. The enemy's for real. This cat will put you in a cage match. He'll rope a dope you. Anybody know what that one is? Some of y'all do. He'll make you think you, you, you're doing all right and then they come out swinging. That's basically what it is. 2 Corinthians, repentance is greater than regret. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 10. Godly sorrow, remember sorrow is part of the definition of regret. Godly sorrow or godly regret Godly, not, not, not this other stuff. Godly, that means I disobeyed the precepts and principles of God and the law of the Spirit that is within me. I regret that. Godly regret brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow... See, that's based upon not true freedom, some other stuff that the world's definition is about all of this. Because the world can be going to hell in a handbasket, but I'm going to heaven in Jesus' name. Yeah. Hallelujah. But worldly sorrow brings death. Here's what you must remember, and I'm ending here in just a few seconds. I shouted a little bit when I was developing this portion in my notes. Your regrets do not define you. You are who God says you are. You're not what the world says you are. You're not what your past decisions says you are. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. You've been made with a purpose. You've been made with a destiny. When God made you, He said, I want to make man in my image. Man is the apple of my eye. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants you to run to Him. You have hope in Jesus. We've all had things that we regret, but they need to lead you to repentance. Events that have happened in your life, decisions that have been made in your life, addictions that you've had in your life, these regrets are rooted in the deception of the enemy. When these roots of regret are given fuel, if they are entertained, if they are given time to percolate, not in my notes, I like the word though, if they are given credence, these roots of regret will grow and make you believe that they somehow define who you are. Your regrets do not define who you are. Jesus made you. He is your creator, and he has the last say in what he made you to be. His definition of who you are is all that matters. All you've got to do is allow for your regret 
to lead you to true sorrow and repentance. He is the King of Kings. Here's what I love about it. Here's who he says, I am. Hallelujah. Ephesians 1 and 5 says, you don't have it back there, Donnie. I'm just going to preach for a minute. Ephesians 1 and 5 said that he predestined me for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. That means he predestined me to be forgiven and get in the family, the family of God. And that is in accordance with his pleasure and his will. What is his will for my life? He loved me so much that he sent his son that I don't have to be captive of the enemy and that he gave me free will to actually choose him to be forgiven and abide by the law of the spirit. I'm predestined with free will to choose God. He loves me that much that he didn't let the enemy have me. That's destiny. That's what my destiny is. Ephesians 1 and 11 says, In Him, this is down from 5, now down to 11. It made me shout. I didn't have time to preach at all. In Him, then, we're also chosen. You're chosen. You are chosen by God. He chose to make you. Regardless of all the mess that the world has caused you to fall into. You're chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. What's His will? For me to have free will and to choose Him. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In Him we have redemption. That means I get a do-over. We have redemption through the blood for forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I don't deserve that. I deserve to be persecuted for all the things that I've done. But that's according to the definition of man. You see the law of sin and death. I deserve to be the one that hung on the cross. But God had mercy on me and said, no, I'm going to take all that pain. What you should get, I'm going to take from you. I'm going to have mercy on all that. And then what you don't deserve, I'm actually going to give you. I'm going to show grace that you might be forgiven. It's my will that you get that. That he lavished on us this grace. I am not defined by my past. Somebody say, I am not defined by my past. Say, I am a king's kid. I've been bought with a price and I am forgiven. Jesus is my Lord and my master. Somebody give God a hand clap. You know what the Bible says about what you just did? It's in the book of Romans. I don't know where it's at in there. Paul wrote again to the Romans. He always wanted to get to Rome, and ultimately when he got there, that's where, that's where he died. Should have been his fifth mission trip. Paul says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So now if you repeat it after me and you just said some words, then you just said some words. 
like, you know, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That's just a word, right? If anybody can give me the spelling of that, I got a prayer book back in the office called Prayer Jabez. I'll give it to you. If you haven't read it, go get it. It's by Bruce Wilkerson. But if you said those words and you believe in your heart, and you shall be saved, you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. How do you confess? It's every day. Every day that you live. When you leave here, you best be uh, uh, confessing with your mouth. Anybody use that language anymore? You best be doing this or that. Stand with me if you would. Bow your heads, please. This is just for personal comfort. I don't want people getting fronted out here because I.